Welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast, the first episode of 2020. And uh, I'm here on my own recording this intro. Darren wasn't able to make it. We couldn't quite figure out our schedules for this one. So um, it's just me saying welcome to 2020. Welcome to this first episode featuring uh, one of the people who we had at the top of our list for uh, Australian players we wanted to talk to this year. Jack Brennan, a Ulan Piper and whistle player out of Adelaide. So, uh, yeah, that's today's guest. And I think... um, we have a lot of playing in this episode, so it's just we, we just couldn't stop listening to, to the guy. So um, I think we're just going to get on with it. Here is Jack Brennan. Jack Brennan, welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. Thank you very much. So what was that first tune? So the first tune I played was um, Garrett Barry's Jig, which um, was passed down, Garrett Barry being a blind Irish harper, <clears throat> passed down through Willie Clancy. And um, it's it's just one of those standard piping tunes mm-hmm. that you learn. And uh, it's nice, you know. So I'm just going to go straight for the most obvious question, which is where did you first come into contact with the Irish pipes, the Yulin pipes? Yep, good question. Um, when I was 10, I, um, there was a, a man in Adelaide called Tom Finn, and, and he'd, he'd hunt down any Irishman who had children in the 70s uh, to join the, the, the pipe band in Adelaide. So... Um, I was 10 and dad sort of said, do you want to join the band? And I said, oh yeah. So I joined as a drummer and uh, my sister joined as a piper. And um, got, and these are bagpipes, right? These are the Highland pipes, Hi. yeah, yeah. And then I got quite good at drumming, <laughs> you know, doing all my certificates. There are certificates in drumming, pipe band drumming. And then when I went to high school, um, there was a teacher there called Noel Geeson, who I remained friends with all my life, actually. He only died a couple of years ago at the age of 92. But Noel um, was starting up a, um, a pipe band at Dawes Road High School and asked me if I'd teach the students how to drum, which I, I did. And this was from about year 10 onwards. And um, the other thing Noel did is uh, he played Northumbrian pipes. And I, I had no idea that these bellows blind. Well, my dad had mentioned seeing, my dad's Irish, was Irish, and he had mentioned seeing these bellows blind pipes in Ireland, but he didn't 
couldn't remember too much about them. So I guess that, that must have uh, left a, a memory there, you know, for me to, you know, keep thinking about. So when I met Noel, he, he played these Northumbrian pipes at one of our open days at school. And, um, yeah, I, just, I was taken with that, that sound, you know, and I thought, wow, um, I wouldn't mind learning them. So Noel told me where to get a set. So I sent off the money and a set came back and he showed me how to play them. And, um, which, and I still play them a little bit, you know, but they're, they're a different beast to the Ellen Pipes. And it wasn't until I was about 16, there was a record shop in Adelaide and uh, I walked into the record shop uh, and uh, he used to bring in records from Germany because the Germans actually worked out how good Irish music was before I think the Irish did. That's very funny you should mention that because when I was growing up in the 80s, there was always Germans coming through our town who were mad for folk music. Yeah, and there yeah. was, and there wasn't actually that much about our town. Like they would just pass through on the way to other places. But yeah, yeah, it was it was a kind of a standing joke that the Germans loved <laughs> Irish music. Yeah, I think they all love music generally, but they, right. I guess they could see the uh, um, they saw something good in Irish music, and, and if you play it, you know, you, you understand that. But um, yeah, it was great that they started recording players. And one of the, the players they recorded was Finbar Fury before he came known as, you know, the Furies and Davy Arthur. And uh, I just remember, yeah, it was just him playing the pipes. And there's this wild bloke. I've actually got it framed in my lounge wall. This wild-looking bloke playing this, this set of pipes. And I just remember putting the, the arm on the record. And uh, the first thing to kick in, of course, was this drone. And I can still hear that drone in my head. You know, there's a certain resonance and that was it really uh it was like uh, a spell being cast on you and i thought wow i gotta play this instrument and that that drone is amazing like i think we've spoken to a couple of people about i always think of the beginning of um the body band live album yeah um when they play the cast jig and there's this kind of yeah. dun, 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 <laughs> on a g note and then that drone comes in yeah. and you just have this feeling of like you know, fasten your seatbelts because, you know, this is, that, yeah. we're going somewhere. That's it. Know? But I think there's also something very primeval about it. Mm. You know, it must resonate. I mean, I heard guitars. I heard all those things in the 70s. But when I heard that, it was like, it just spoke to me, you know. And I've, I've spoken to other musicians that say the same about other instruments. So we, we must all have different, made up of different resonances or whatever, you know. And whatever happened, that, that, that just spoke to me. And... Um, <clears throat> So uh, it wasn't then until uh, I, got, I got to Ireland in my 20s that I, I bought my first set. So well, there's a, a few things there about, about that and about the distinction between Northumbrian pipes and these. But yeah. like, so your mom and dad, right? Your dad gave you a chance to join this pipe band. Yes. What, what was his, where was he from and, and your mom? Where yeah, were they so, from? So uh, my dad was from um, a little place called Ballyconnell, uh, uh, in the between the Wicklow Carlo border, and um, my mum uh, was in English um, from from Watford, and um, <clears throat> the funny thing with dad, like his dad was a really good fiddle player and a great Irish dancer, but um, when dad was about thirteen, there was an order of priests coming through the, his little town. This is the year before the Second World War started. And for some reason, he thought he had a calling to become a priest. So his uh, parents sent him over to Paris to become join this order of priests at 13. So, uh, so I think uh, that was one thing. He always spoke of Ireland as this magic place of his childhood, and which must have had an effect on me because um, 
you know, I, I know lots of second generation people are born in Australia that don't even think of Ireland, but he must have planted some sort of seed in in my head about all that, you know. And did, uh, did you ever talk about what that was like as an experience? Oh, to go yeah. away when you was 13? Oh, well, he didn't talk so much about it. He, he did talk a lot about his leading up to that in Ireland, you know, the experiences and uh, and the and what, what... He seemed to have a good good enough childhood there, you know. But... Um, what, what happened is vocation, if I can put it that well, way? Well, because you can probably guess, I mean, he, he, he left uh, the year before the Second World War started. So he was there when the Second World War started in Paris. And, of course, he couldn't come backwards and forwards like we do now. Once you were there, you were there. And he, the priests were basically looking after him. And then, because um, uh, Germany uh, then occupied um, France, and so um, my dad joined the French Resistance. And it was quite common around the uh, Sunday after, um, um, lunch table. Dad would tell us all these amazing stories of, you know, <laughs> his time in the French Resistance. And uh, uh, just for one, I think this, this is worth hearing about. <clears throat> he was saying that he was given a note to take to, um, you know, point B. And uh, he thought he was traveling by himself. He was on a bus and um, he, he was obviously quite young, you know, probably 18 or 19 at the time. He saw a Gestapo checkpoint in front of him. And uh, he knows if, if the Gestapo find this note on him, there's no messing around, they'll shoot you on the spot. And so he, he's had, I've often thought about this. He had this period where he's thinking, oh, you know, what do I do? And suddenly he got a tapped on the shoulder and um, this woman said, give me your night. And so in that split second, he, he had to trust this woman. Was he a German spy or was he a French resistance, fellow French resistance fighter? And he had to trust her because he had nowhere to go. And he trusted her and she put the note where no one was ever going to find her. And he survived it. But I've often been on a bus and thought of that, you know, um, how terrifying that was, must have been. <laughs> so there's all these sort of stories that he had, you know, because he went back to Ireland at the end of the war and uh, it, it, like many places in Europe, he couldn't get a job. So he went to London and that's where he, he met my, my mum and then they thought a better life would be in Australia. So, And what about your mum? Like, what do you know about her background? Yeah, childhood? so um, her dad was an optometrist and um, he used to, he got a job working for the Goldbergs in the um, in Java, so my mum my in mom, Java in Java like the Dutch East Indies company and um, so mum went out there at a very young age so she was a fluent speaker in Malay in Dutch and she was a real vivacious woman really talented um, like you just grew up thinking every mum's mum could do that but like she'd make your clothes and I remember when I I be, you know, a young teenager, I saw this lovely jumper in a shop. I said, well, I've seen this jumper, it's got a really lovely pattern on it. She said, oh, what shop is it in? You know, so oh, it's in that shop. You know, so she went down, looked at it and wrote down the pattern and then made it for me. <laughs> you know, that's, and uh, when we were in the pipe band, um, the kilt, the people, person that used to make the kilts for the pipe band, kilts are very difficult to make. You have to get this right swing on them apparently. And uh, so mum started making all the kilts and tunics for the, for the pipe band. It's just anything with the hands, you know, it's just mm -hmm. amazing. So what did they, do you know why they ended up in, where they ended up in Adelaide particularly? Or? I do, yeah. They actually, they knew an Irish couple here in Adelaide. I think they were called the Omaras and they sort of sponsored them to come out. They originally right. were going to go to Melbourne 
but because they knew this family, um, they came out to Adelaide. <laughs> and I think the sad thing was they lived with the Amaris for a very short time and then they realised they didn't get on, so they didn't, yeah. Yeah. But so they actually uh, lived, uh, uh, it was called Jep's Cross, and they're like these tin sheds they had to live in for a, a year or so before they could, could get a place. So uh -huh. I guess they were refugees too for a time. Right, yeah. right. But... Um, and what what, uh, what work did they find when they were here then? Yeah, so uh, mum just remained, well, I can't say just remained a housewife. I mean, she was always doing things, you know, like I said, making things. And she became an Avon rep. She became an Amway rep. And she loved, she was a people's person, so she was always meeting people. And my dad got a job in the public service in um, Adelaide and um, ended up working for the public service in the police. And so I ended up. Yeah, my last year of school, I was doing really bad. And I said to you know my dad, I'm not going to pass this year. He said, why don't you join the police? Because I always wanted to be an entomologist, you know. I love bugs. And uh, and I said, oh, okay, well, it probably could be a good job, I guess, you know. And then the next minute I'm sitting in front of the assistant commissioner and, uh, you know, he's asking me why I want to be a policeman. <laughs> made up something. I got a letter sort of saying, congratulations, you're starting, you know, 15th of September. I had horses at the time, so I left. I left school and rode my horses around for three months. Right yeah. in the police. Well, I actually, I joined. I joined the mounted division for a short time in the police. Yeah, right, but then right. I became a detective for most of my career. Right. So how long? How long were you a detective then? About thirty-four years. I was in the police thirty-nine. Right. So. And was the police connection then the pipe band too? Was the pipe band like a, or you was know, that separate? There was a thing when I was growing up in Australia. Um, if you know if you had that Irish Catholic background, you'd end up sort of being a priest, a policeman, a politician. <laughs> you know, there's, there was these sort of something beginning with P. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and uh, so I don't know. It, it, was, it was a bit strange, really, but um, maybe maybe it's the the justice thing or something. You know, I like to think I was a fair fair copper, and uh, you know, I, I hated when I joined it. I hated it, to be honest. I you know I thought, why. Oh, I just, it was, I was a bit hippie-ish, you know, when I was young and, and it was very, you know, you had to toe the line and, you know, obey by the laws and everything down the police academy. And, uh, and then I went out on an out phase and uh, I thought, you know, where you sort of dress up as a cadet and that, and you, and you go to stations and that. And I thought, you know, I could probably make this job work for me because <laughs> I knew I wanted to earn a wage. I wanted to buy a house you know, I wanted to have a family and that's that was the thing back then you know i didn't want to work in a factory and i thought uh you know police could have been a little bit better than that so yeah that's how i ended up there and it was good enough i liked the idea of having and the, the other good thing with the police what i found with music i mean i always played music and to be honest <clears throat> the music was my salvation because um i never i never gave my soul to the police you know it was just a job whereas i know some people become um almost um their, their job somehow becomes them, you know, whereas um, music was always really important to me. So, um, and, and I found like with, um, with shift work, I could always get enough time to go to a festival or, or, you know, see my kids, you know, if they were doing something, it was, it was good. You know, it's like, like I said, it really did work for me. Mm. And, and being a detective, I, I didn't like wearing a uniform, but, uh, you know, uh, being a detective, it was good because, um, you know, we worked on some amazing jobs, you know. There was a serial killer we, we arrested. And, uh, I mean, you know, who wouldn't want to put a serial killer in jail, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. 
Sorry. Should we have another tune? And then I want yeah, to sure. talk to you more about the, okay. about the pipes and the... Yeah. Um, what do you fancy? What do you fancy uh, I'll play an ear. It's called um, The Blackbird. It was... Uh, Blackbird was my... He, he played... The, my grandfather played the fiddle. It was one of his uh, favourite dance tunes, but this is sort of an air of that tune. So can we get back to the origins of your fascination with the pipes then? So, yeah, yeah. So, so um, um, I mean, I, I guess for for the non-initiated like me and Darren, um, maybe um, a little bit of the distinction, which we've talked about, I think, in a separate episode, uh, the distinction between the Ulan pipes, say, and the, and the Northumbrian pipes, right? So yeah, yeah. So they're both elbow-driven. That's it, yeah. They right? both play with bellies. But a different, different tone, right? It's different tones. Um, the chanter on Northumbrian pipes is parallel bore, and um, on the chanter, which is the melody-producing part of the instrument, is a conical bore. So the conical bore gives you more dynamics in, in tone and uh, a louder tone. Mm. Uh, for example, the Highland pipes have a conical bore. We all know how loud they are. But the, the, the other thing, what fascinated me with the Ellen pipes was uh, just the idea that they have, um, you know, you can play them in a very staccato way. You can play them a very legato. Staccato being, um, you know, like a, a cut sort of, uh, you can stop the notes uh, um, yeah, yeah, and legato being more flowing, uh, which is unusual for a bagpipe because most bagpipes the air just continually flows through. So that that made them uh, unique. 
uh, to me. And, uh, and then also the fact you could get two octaves, this idea of overblowing a reed fascinated me. And, uh, and then vibrato, when I listened to uh, Finbar, you know, just the, the way he played vibrato, I mean, coming from a Highland sort of background, that, that wasn't part of their um, ornamentation. And so it was just this, you know, all these sounds that were I just, just amazed me, you know, when I, I, it's I, the, I, I adore the chords that then sit beneath all that. You, you, I forget what they're called. The, yeah, uh, the regulators. Yeah. The regulators, that chord work you were doing during that, that's just, yeah. that depth. And then it's it another depth on top to of that. It. It's incredible. Yeah, that, that's another depth. So yeah, as an instrument, it's like, uh, to play them, it's hard enough. And then, you know, about four years ago, I started learning how to make them, and that's that's even more challenging. But um, so do you remember the first time you actually sat down with a set of Ulin pipes? Well, it would have been um, my sister and I did a trip when we were about twenty to visit all the rallies in Ireland, and uh, so I stayed with my auntie, <clears throat> and I went into um, Lawton's in North Frederick Street in Dublin, and they had this set of pipes. You know, it was made by I think McCarthy. I've never heard of McCarthy since, but um, they were just a set of Illum pipes and I had to have them. And so I bought them and uh, probably the first time I, I held them would have, you know, when I got home and uh, to the auntie's house and, and had a go because I didn't know how to play them. So it was, and, and that was, uh, you know, early 80s. So um, what, it, what was your impression of Ireland at that point? Like, what was that? Uh well, it was so new, you know, yeah. like we, I had all those stories and uh, I guess still having family there was, was great. And they, they all said to us, like, welcome home, yeah. <laughs> as they do. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was lovely, you know. I, I really um, love the place. Uh, I mean, you know, growing up uh, through the, the Irish Pipe Band, you know, we got to know lots of accents. And that I remember when my uncle, um, we sat down to have tea and my auntie gave him a scone now his, his name was paddy kelly but he he had a very strong accent and then he started eating a scone and speaking and we we're all going what and but she uh my auntie still understood paddy so that that was pretty uh, amazing but um it's a lifetime of marriage for you yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is a terrible anecdote but my, so my granddad and his family, they grew up in Kerry. Right. And they had a very strong Kerry oh, yes. accent. And they moved over to, to Scaries outside Dublin when yeah. later on in life. So when I would go visit them, I never, particularly my granddad, I never could understand what he said. And my nan, I could understand her a bit more, but I used to always watch her in the peripheral. So she yeah. would smile. I could smile. <laughs> she, unfortunately, she passed away first. Uh. And I had no backup. And then even on my granddad's, on his dying bed when I was saying good, goodbye to him I wasn't entirely sure what he was saying to him and I didn't remember telling my mum and dad about this at one stage and then I found out that my dad actually struggled with his own dad he lived all his life with as well so you don't have to be from anywhere else in the world not to understand it. you can yeah. just down the road for sure they, yeah. yeah there are some great accents there so how did they react when you arrived back you're visiting your aunt and you, yeah, you, arrived, you arrived back with this set of pipes so they like <laughs> holy get shit, up the garden that? yeah well i guess um i guess uh you know they'd heard of us you know and to actually and we'd heard of them and so to actually meet up it was it was just just great i mean dad's mum had died at that before we got there but a good few years before we got there 
and his dad had died a long time before that but um just seeing his sisters and um you know their children and and they show they, they love showing us around you know it was, it was just brilliant mm. i remember they took us to clonny gold castle and we had to drink this water from the well it was all rather weird but but it, you know different and exciting i mean you can see well when i say australia is young european settlement in australia is young but uh, of course um, we all know it's people have lived here for many thousands of years but yeah it was different and it was great it was you know even when we went back in 2016 it was different again you know because ireland had certainly changed because um uh i guess joining the uh, the european uh, union and all that um it yeah i could see the differences yeah how how does when you start learning the pipes and you bring these pipes not these pipes but you bring this set of pipes back to australia good question right (laughs) what 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 how does that change your relationship with the music i mean like are you well it um see i started learning like who else are you listening to yeah as you mentioned planksty the bothy band um all those groups you know and um, um, I started learning the whistle um, in the 70s too with uh, um, a man called um, Tim Whelan, who was a, uh, he actually kicked off like uh, almost like a movement in Adelaide. It was called the Celtic Music Club. And all these young people, uh, you know, just went to join and play music. And so you'd have fiddles, you know, you'd have whistles. And, and uh, I remember walking in there one night when I was about 16 or 17 and, there was this, um, again, like, uh, it was in the air. It was, like, palpable. You could feel this rhythm, you know, with everyone playing in, in unison together. And I just, uh, in a session, you know, and I I just, it was, you know, it moved, yeah. And uh, I thought, wow, yeah, I want to play this music. So I, I had horses up to then. And, um, you know, I slowly started getting more into Irish trad and eventually sold the horses. Yeah. <laughs> And oh, it just takes over your soul, you know. I, th- I think it's um, that that first set you had was that a full set? Yes, it was oh, a full yeah, set. Wow. So yeah, the regs didn't get touched for a long time, and straight in the deep end. Yeah, yeah, and they weren't a great set. I mean, to be honest, there weren't too many people making um, sets in Ireland way back then. Uh, Leo Rosem had died. Um, who was making them? Um, who's who's that you're talking about there? Leo Rousen, yep. uh, who basically kept the Ellen Pipes going by himself, really. He was the only man, well, one of the very few making them, making good quality sets. And he played them, he taught them. So um, uh, MP, I know MPU would be the first to acknowledge the importance of Leo Rousen in keeping the instrument going. <clears throat> but, and of course, then all the... Um, Great pipers of the 70s um, all played Leo's pipes. Um, Paddy Keenan, Liam O'Flynn, um, uh, even Fimbo. What, what, is there something that distinguished his pipes or was it the fact that they existed? <laughs> well, that's a good you know question. I, mean? I think they existed and they sounded good. Yeah, yeah they It's, it's very interesting good. thinking about like this tradition that sort of kind of over time kind of narrows down to this very thin yes. sort of um lifeline it does that, that then sort of spreads out again and now spreads out again yeah. because and that's what i noticed in 2016 at the flak y'all all the young ones who were playing you know they used to say it takes 21 years to be a piper but you'd hear these young ones at 14 15 playing so good like brilliant 
you know, and their instruments were so in tune. <laughs> and, uh, and it's great. I mean, there's a whole thing of part, and that's the whole thing of this Celtic Lakes school is passing it on, you know. Mm-hmm. You don't pass it on, it dies. And I think that's been the great legacy of Irish music, um, to pass it on to the next generation. And it's, you know, it's good enough for them to, to fall in love with it too, every generation. I did. You can see they love it, you know, and I think it will go on forever. Well, you teach, don't you? I teach, yeah. yeah. I've, I've taught for years. I've taught down here for about, um, oh, I don't know, 15 years. And so when I started teaching here, we'd have big classes. So I, I taught the whistle and pipes, if there were a few pipers around. But the whistle classes, was well, it was just me to start with. So we had, you know, beginners, intermediate and advanced all in one and which is very challenging. <laughs> so after a time, I, I, you know, I said to Felix, I think we should split them up, you know, and, uh, and you know, people bring in, would bring their children back year after year and, um, and you'd see them getting better and better. And uh, they started the, um, the, um, the, not the youth group, but they, they, they'd sponsor a band, uh, put together a, a, a youth band who um, would would then record and then go on to play at Port Ferry? Oh, my my daughter um, was in, was in uh, one of the members for a time, Katie, and she started off. Uh, I think they called themselves the Drowsy Maggies to start yeah. with, you know. And uh, so that that has been great here in Australia, you know, um, just encouraging the young because. So how many pipe players would you have? Uh well, that, that, that varies. And my whole idea of uh, becoming a pipe maker was to get more young people playing. I mean, over the years, I've taught lots of uh, pipe pipers in, in Adelaide and to the extent that uh, in about 2000 and I think it was 15, no, Pippi Ellen sent over Mark Redman from uh, from Dublin. As and PPR, a, who's Pete? No, Pippi Ellen is the, yep. the piping uh, organisation in Dublin who keeps it all happening in Ireland, basically. Right. Uh, they teach and they encourage the making of the instrument. And um, so Mark Redman is a, a young a young man, probably in his 30s, a, a very good piper. And uh, so they sent him over here and he did some teaching here for us. And uh, it was it was it was really good, you know, to have someone of that that stature come over. And what's a good age to get? You know, I, I, that's, that's a, yeah, it's a good question because um, I sent a, a practice set off to a 10 year old and just his size, he, he found it quite challenging. So <clears throat> that would vary on, on how big the child is, of course. But I'm thinking probably around 10 is a good age, you know, yeah. where they're, they're starting to get a bit bigger so they can manage the bag and the bellies. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's, quite a, it's quite a chunk of... It machinery. is. It yeah. is. It's quite challenging physically, even. Yeah. But I, I have seen um, again videos from Ireland of uh, you know quite young girls, probably about that age, ten or twelve, playing, and they're very good, and <laughs> they're doing it easy. So, would would you like to give us another tune, for that? please? Sure. Would that be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What do you fancy? What do you fancy, Dan? Uh, a real, is a real. Yeah, mm. or a couple if you want. Okay, the yeah. more, the, more the better. Actually, okay. sounds beautiful. So. You don't. One of the, what I should say is one of the experiences that myself and Tom are lucky enough to get is to sit in front of players like yourself. And actually, you don't get to sit one on one with a player no. in life. You <laughs> That's don't. True. That's true. And yeah. this is a real treat today. So, 
Oh, well, thanks for doing it because, you know, some, you never know where it goes out when people hear it and they might think, well, oh, I wouldn't mind learning that. <laughs> you know? I'll, like I'll tell you a bit later, Robert, the listenership, like Sierra Leone, like India, the people listening all over the world. It's yeah. in, oh, incredible. Yeah. yeah, and you, I mean, there's a pipe maker in Japan, mm. uh, a very capable pipe maker, and there's a lot of people over there playing the music. So, you know. I'm actually looking for some contacts. So I might have to yeah. <laughs> chat with you after the, uh, when you turn the mics off. Yeah. So I'm I'm beaming like an idiot because I kind of had a bit of a bit of an epiphany during that. I think I answered in my own mind what what why I am so attracted to the pipes, right? And it's something that happened at the beginning of this conversation. You spoke with the Germans coming through, yes, Ireland in in the '80s looking for this yeah. music. One of my big passions is is techno electronica, and you know this may sound silly, but to me. That analog sound is so reminiscent of like the the like the moogs of those analog synthesizers, <laughs> right. and I think the 
the I'm gonna use this is the wrong word, but I'm gonna use the tool just to get me there. The erratic nature of the the, the staccato. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. That reminds me so much of the kind of that experiment, experimental electronic like that Aphex Twin or um, Orteca. It's right in that spot. <laughs> That's so interesting. I, yeah. For me. It, it's hitting all those same notes and as you were playing I could just feel these tingles and rushes coming up my back and this is exactly what oh, that's amazing, when yeah. I was a teenager I, it, like that's a hard music to find when you're when I was a teenager in yeah. like early 90s it was kind of a, obscure music and I love the weirder and the more droney the music was yeah the more I loved it so, yeah and it was quite a, a small niche thing to be into yeah so yeah. it's hard to find little did I know <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was just in the pipes the whole time That's yeah um it's funny that and and i know people uh, have said from america you know from the deep south that uh you know the irish have always played the blues you know you can hear, yeah. hear it in their in their music too so it, it's all connected mm. <laughs> so but was, interesting yeah I, I know dom you wanted to ask you about the instrument there was, there was one particular part in that last um set of tunes where it it, it lifted it, it kind of I don't know the sound sound like it split in two it lifted off for a few minutes yeah do you know, yeah. Do you, do you know which part I'm talking about uh, uh, Mrs. McLeod is, is probably the one yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a nice sort of driving reel you know and uh, and uh, yeah it's good to do it putting some of the, the rhythm stuff on the regs on it so is that what I was hearing was I, I think so yeah stuff, yeah, right? yeah. Sorry, Jack, I, I know very little, so I'm trying to. Yeah, I think that's what together. was going on because, from what you're saying, that yeah, that staccato sort of sound from the, from just those, those short sort of little clips, yeah. Um, so what I, are you? I'm you done. Well, so that's I, I love that connection, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I was actually going to. I mean, this is a definitely an analog piece of equipment, right? Yeah. And I was thinking about um, one of my Australian friends who said, um, she says, I don't really know what you're talking about. When I was talking about Ulan pipes, and yeah. I was saying, "Well," and I tried to describe them. I, I, all, all I could describe was kind of you know, tubes going one way and a bellows in your arm. So maybe you could talk us through this from a beginner's like. So everybody knows there's there's the bit where your fingers go where you yeah. make the melody. Yeah, so, so that's so that's your that, chanter. That's called the chanter. So this particular set would be called a concert set. So the drones are set in D. So the, um, the strong key for it would be D major. But because you can play uh, C natural, you can play in you can play in G major, or in this particular time you can play in A A major as well. And the minors of all them, uh, A minor, E minor, mm. F sharp minor. But how many how many actual uh, tubes there have you got? So yeah, so across you got, your lap going from yeah, left to right. Yeah, so you have three drains. You have a a tenor, a baritone, and a bass. So these are like uh, organ pipes, basically. They are, yeah, the sort, of, yeah. sort of same kind I, of principle. Yeah, I've often wondered if um, whoever invented them, you know, it worked on organs. And I know, um, I'm pretty sure Killian O'Brien, who makes pipes in Ireland, uh, was once an organ builder, right? Maker, yeah. So <laughs> there's a bit of a connection, but um, yeah. And at the end of the bass uh, drain, you have a resonator, which is meant to give you the oh, that's what that is. A nice it's like a little satellite dish at yeah. the end there. Yeah. I actually made that one myself. There was just a plastic one on there, and I, I think that gives you a better sound. So, um, yeah, my my goal is this year is to make my own set and play my on my own set. You know. And then under the heel of your hand are the regulators. Yeah, you which have are regulators, those, which, are uh, which are keys, a series of keys that play uh, chords, simple chords to to your chanter. Yeah. Um, 
which you can you can either play with your wrists or if you take uh, your bottom hand off you can play with your fingers so mm. uh, when when you described um deciding that oh i'm just going to start making them right i mean you make it sound like you <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, like oh i think i'll go and make a bit of toast you know well, well <laughs> like, yeah i mean that's... a bit, bit more thought a bit more thought than that but i think it was more um you know, I, I was I was coming to retiring age because in in the, my job I could retire at fifty five, and uh, so I said to Ellie, my partner, "What do you think?" She said, "Yeah, leave." So, uh, and then uh, I guess because of that, I realised I had to. Uh, I mean, I was either going to play music, and I thought it'd be just. Uh, I was fascinated. I've always been fascinated with the instrument. So, uh, there's a friend of mine who actually used to make the pipes. You know, Craig Fisher. He still does a bit. So I was at a party and I just said to Craig, um, I reckon I'd like to try giving uh, pipe making a go. You know, he said, all right. He said, um, come around and I'll, I'll show you. So I was lucky. He lives in the Adelaide Hills and he's, uh, he's got an engineering brain and he's a uh, you know, very clever man with maths and knowing how to do things. So he basically taught me. And, um, and like anything, you know, they can teach you so much and then you have to go away and make all the mistakes and... And are you still in the mistake making phase? I'm still or? in the mistake making stage. Uh, I haven't made. I'm, I'm, I'm up to making uh, two uh, half sets. A half set is uh, everything you see here minus the regulators. So it'll be the main stock, and the drones, the chana, and the and the bellows. But so I want to, and I'm tending to. You, you know, this is uh, these pipes have a, a silvery sort of um, metal on them, which is nickel silver. Mm-hmm. It's not silver, it's uh, nickel brass, really. Nickel mixed with brass. But I, I like that. And so um, I, I get all mine from London, the tubes. Um, and the, and I've been lucky enough to get some of the, the sheet stuff here in Australia. But the thick stuff for the keys I can get in Germany. But um, I, I need to get that now so I can start making the keys. But um, yeah, it's funny when you start making them, uh, you have to look all over all over the world. Um, this is boxwood, the boxwood I get from Turkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the thing that I'm doing with uh, my making is um, I sort of realized that um, they've already uh, put um, African blackwood on site, so you can't just bring it into the country. You have to pay extra if you're going to bring it in, or you may not even get in uh, for African blackwood. Um, ebony, you can still get in. I've got a, got an amount of ebony. But what I, what I have been doing is exploring the tonality of Australian uh, native woods. And one in particular I like is Gigi, mm-hmm. which is uh, grows in um, New South Wales, Queensland. It's a dark chocolate brown wood. It's not as uh, brittle as ebony, but I think tone-wise it's as good as ebony. And um, so uh, my own set's going to be made of Gigi. So do you, do you know the guy that makes Oz whistles? Do you know? Yes, I do. Um, doesn't he make Gigi? I've got a whistle. I think it's made of Gigi. I think he makes it out of Gigi too. Aye. Yeah, Aye. yeah. So Aye. it's very chocolatey brown. It is. I think yeah. it's like they say it's about the third hardest wood in the world. It has a nice kind of a slightly reddish tone to it as well. Can have, so, yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah. some of the bits I have even have like a bit of black in it. Um, but now, and I've just discovered another wood recently called Cooktown Ironwood, and again a very dense timber mm-hmm. growing up the top of um, uh, the top of Queensland. And um, 
that again is really good wood for pipe making. So uh, I was lucky enough to find a guy selling some of the Sydney wood show and a piper friend of mine uh, bought it for me and uh, sent it down here to me. So I'm still in the process of turning all that, but uh, yeah, yeah I, lo I love trying different uh, Australian woods. So I'm guessing by this that, that you're not missing the detective life. No, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, the day I walked out, I never really looked back. You know, I was ready for retirement. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a, it's a really good young man's job, but um, as you get hit your 50s, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah you're still um, you know, useful for the mind and all that, but it can get physical. <laughs> you know, wrestling guns and that are people you don't want to be doing as you get older. So, uh, um, no, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I uh, there were some great people, um, as we know, with any job, you get your good and bad. But I have to say, most of the people I worked with, pretty well all of them were good people, you know. There'll be a sprinkling of bad eggs as you get everywhere. It's just people, isn't it, you know? But, and, and when it comes to your plan, then, and we think about all, all the different um, styles that you were drawn on, I mean, do you see yourself as having a particular style? That, that... Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I've always been drawn to uh, that sort of traveling style, um, the high energy sort of. Plane. And is that what characterizes the traveling style? You'd know more about this, Darren, than I do. The well, I did style. watch that one documentary. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, yes. <laughs> well, so, I don't know. Well, look, going on um, that. I think it's not so great these days. It, it, was, it was a big thing back in the 70s and 80s when you had your, your flat set players and you had your concert set players and... And, uh, you know, people either like, you know, the Paddy Keenan sort of stuff. But the young ones these days are smart enough to take bits from everywhere, you know, and develop their own style. And that's what I, I was seeing in Ireland, really. Uh, that, that sort of old idea that you're either going to play like this or this. I, I don't even, you know, some of the flat set players can play quite energetically. Um, so... Yeah, I think that sort of the whole idea. I think these days is to you develop your own style by picking the best of what you like, you know, and then, yeah. I found yeah. that really interesting in that documentary. So the documentary I'm mentioning, I'm talking about, is called is it Brass and Copper or uh, Coppers and Brass. Coppers yes. and Brass. So a a, a um, listener of the show actually recommended it. Yeah, and I'm obsessed with it. But what I loved about uh, one of the things that was mentioned in that documentary was. If you if the traveling community or the player was making their living as a player, I love how I forget who said it in the episode, but they essentially said that they all day they spent watching what worked, so that yes entered more and more into the repertoire. So they they knew how to stop people. I think they mentioned the chords how you could draw more people in. Yeah, just with that. And yeah, I, I, I love that. It's but, amazing. Yeah, and uh, and what what we forget now with. Uh, you know, in these days where we're just saturated in media and uh, all types of media. I mean, if you lived in rural Ireland, you know, a hundred years ago, a traveling piper would have been an amazing yeah. event in, yeah. in your town. Yeah. You know, you would never have heard such a thing. And uh, there's some lovely poems, uh, you know, on that sort of thing um, that, that have been written. But yeah, and you're right, uh, Johnny Doran, um, was was I think the man who made coppers and brass a tune you know well known and if you I don't know if he I think he featured on that particular documentary mm -hmm. but um, um, 
yeah, just an amazing player, you know. And, and what was good is that he, uh, someone recorded him in Dublin before he died. And so there was, was this little snipper of his music. And it, for, since then, people have been listening going, wow, you know, it's incredible that someone was playing at that level way back then, you yeah. know. So... Uh, did it really? Did it really come down to a handful of players? I think so. Yeah, yeah it's really just did. So scary to think. How it close. is. Yeah, and um, if you look at O'Neill's book of Irish music, um, you flick through that, and there are so many pipers that he's photographed in there. You know, it has a little story about them. A lot of yeah. them went to America and died. Uh, so, you know, yeah, there was a time because I mean the pipers did take on from uh, the take over from the harp players when they all. I mean, they just didn't stop. I mean, you know, there was was an offence to play the harp at one stage in Ireland. <laughs> so if you played seditious tunes, you know, you got you got strung up for it. So, really? you know. It's, it's uh, what, swapping one not very portable instrument for another. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's it's a slightly Yeah. We're lucky that, of course, uh, um, Turlock Carolyn um, left some great melodies. Um behind the blind Irish harp player. And so I had a group years ago with a, a harp, a cello, violin, and myself on pipes. We just uh, played his music. It's called the O'Carolan Quartet. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, was, it was lovely. You know, we used to do, um, 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 you know, gigs for uh, companies and all that, and all, some of the big folk festivals, but it was I, different. I always find those, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm probably speaking from, well, I'm definitely speaking from ignorance here, but... I I always find those tunes, O'Carlin tunes, pretty demanding, and uh, but also very um, European sounding. And the yes. and and by that I just I'm using that as a shorthand for like something that didn't sound like my notion of what Irish music was. Yeah. Right? They yeah. sounded much more kind of like continental chamber music, <laughs> kind of sweeping through. Do you know what I mean? I, like, I, look, like, I, I think I think you're right, and I, and I also think. How, so how did that happen? Well, um, Baroque <laughs> music uh, was big in, in, uh, in Europe right. uh, when uh, uh, Carolyn was alive. And I guess he was, and it, was, it would have been uh, becoming popular with the gentry in Ireland. Aye, aye. And he was smart enough because he, his living was um, playing the harp. And he realised if he was playing this music, he's going to be invited into these homes of the people who actually had the money to, yes. to, to pay him some money and sponsor him. Um, so um, you're right. I, I think uh, the music is unique, but it, it's it. To be honest, I think it's, it, some of it is really hard to to categorise because yeah, I mean, Carolyn will tell you, you got some of the music from the fairies, as in the she. You know, I I don't know what he means by that, but you know whether it was in the trees or whatever. But some of his music is. Um, it's very special. And well, I, I used to busk years ago when my kids were little. I wasn't getting enough money in the place. <laughs> my wife wasn't working, and I had a CD. No, we had a we had a band and a breakup, and I got left with all these CDs. I used to busk. And I used to play with a cellist and the pipes. You know, down um, Randall Mall, and um, there were certain tunes of her Carolyn's if I played them, people would just stop. You know, I remember seeing this guy busy walking through his lunchtime crowd and he and when he heard the sound he, it was like like that you know and he just stopped and turned around and the amazement you know uh, and i i get that amazement <laughs> and do you, want, uh, do you want to do one no i could do, do one, one yeah hand? i mean the very one of the very first tunes um he uh 
he wrote was called She Beg, She More. And I, I think that's still one of the greatest melodies, mm -hmm. you know. It's just gorgeous. So, the well, little fairy hell in the big fairy Yeah, hell. yeah. And... Um, It's a good it's a, just a pleasure to just when you get to send from to someone like you and listen to you play it's so great so i'm going to yeah. ask you a couple more things before we yep it it's interesting to me that um uh that this is a sound that is so synonymous with irish music now right yes compared to <laughs> You know, um, nineteen the nineteen sixties or seventies oh, yeah. sure, and stuff. Yeah. You know, and yeah, um, and it's and it's used as a sort of shorthand. You know, like in you see it, you hear it in films even when it's like supposed to be Scotland. You hear yeah, it in yeah, pipes. Yeah, we, like, I remember hearing that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just um, uh, I don't know where I'm going with it. It's just it just kind of fascinates me that that it's. Um, well, I think um, I think what you're saying is, I mean. Um, there are, there are bagpipes all over Europe, basically. You know, the, the Italians play the Zampogna. Uh, the Spanish or the Galicians play their, 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 their bagpipes. Even the Greeks have a bagpipe, you know. So, uh, I, and and they're, they're all nice in, uh, in their own way, you know, and um, uh, do justice to their native music. But um, I, I could be biased here, but um, I just think... Um, the Inland Pipes have uh, a very wide scope um, in what they can can do. I mean, one, one of the greatest pieces of music I, 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 I've ever heard is uh, Sean Davies' The Brendan Voyage. I, I know. I remember getting that album. Yeah. You know, um, thinking, oh, this is an album with Liam O'Flynn on it. And an orchestra. Yeah. It's like... And it didn't disappoint because it. Uh, I still play it and... Uh, I, yeah, it's one of my favourite pieces of music. They can play that at uh, my funeral, and it's just uh, it's just glorious. I think um, 
a man, a, a composer who really understood uh, the traditional music, you know, and was able to uh, augment that into that that classical realm, uh, and did it so well. I mean, it's never been done better. Yeah, and uh, I doubt doubt if it ever will be. So, do all your children play? Well, my my youngest daughter Ailish was doing the cello, and. Um, Kept it going for a while, but then one day she said, Dad, I don't think I want to do this anymore. But she's still got a cello, so I live in hope. <laughs> but uh, other than that, Katie's yeah, doing the, the fiddle and guitar. She's going really well on guitar as well. And uh, Sarah's doing the harp, and she has got a box. I did buy her a Solterell. She right. one of them years ago. So. What's, it, what's it like when, when, when you see your kids playing at a high level? Like I, I mean, I, I've only seen Katie playing, but like when you see your kid playing at... At a high level, what well, does that do to your heart? I mean, <laughs> it's well, it makes uh, it makes you feel happy for them, you know, and happy. I mean, yeah, it's it's a great feeling because I remember seeing Katie on the stage in the Budowang, um, um building in the, at the uh, uh, Canberra um, Folk Festival, National Folk Festival, and she and because Katie can be a bit shy sometimes when you speak to her, but when she picks up the fiddle and is on stage, she's got a different persona. So just to see her on there and they had the spotlight on her, you know, and, and her sort of really giving a shtick on the fiddle. It was, <laughs> it was fantastic, you know, yeah. a great moment for yeah. sure, yeah. Because yeah. I guess as a, as a parent, you hope, because it's, it's what, what it is, is about falling in love with the instrument, you know. I mean, when I heard the pipes, it's as simple as that, you know. I, I've always tried to look at life simply and I just fell in love with them. You know, I'm still in love with them or in Irish music. And if you don't fall in love with your instrument, you know, lots of kids learn the piano, but they don't fall in love with it. It's such a it's true, true simple thing. It's simple and it's true, you know. And Easily the, missed. And when people fall in love with, with it and you hear them play, I mean, a good example was Jimmy Webb. Uh, he came out to Australia a couple of years ago and he wrote a lot of songs for Glenn Campbell. And... Um, I just, I've never really listened to the guy, but he uh, he had come on the on the the radio. And he his piano playing was just blew me away, you know. And his singing, I thought, this is much better than. Well, oh. I liked it better than Glenn Campbell, you know what he was doing, and you could tell uh, the man was well, yeah was in love with what he was doing. You could tell. I mean, I remember seeing him in Edinburgh, um, and um, he was. I, I think he came on a radio show that I was working on, and. And he was doing a solo tour, and you could tell, like, why he, probably why you he, he, he didn't make it as a singer. But, <laughs> but, but his piano I, to me, it was like the same thing. Yeah, it was just hearing the piano and him singing, and it's his, it's his song, right? Even though yeah. he wrote it for Glenn Campbell, and he wrote all the yeah. songs he wrote, like McCarthy Park, I, and all. I have to say, I didn't mind his voice. I didn't mind his voice at all. But the the, the two together work for me, you know. Yeah, because the, it was genuine. I mean, totally. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and, and actually me. seeing those. Hearing those chords, yeah. Uh, hearing chords um, with without other things over the top, it can right? be the best thing. Oh, it's so so great! It's like, so great. To, you know, you, you, yeah. I feel like you you don't often hear um, just pure chords where yeah. where someone is really luxuriating. And that's it. Yeah, it's it's almost those harmonies. It's almost know? like the spirit that you put behind it. You know, you can pl- you and I could walk up and piano and play a chord, dong, but it's totally different to someone who's putting themselves into it. You know, and that's that's the big difference. 
Yeah. And you can hear it with any musician, you know, uh, that, that, that does do that. You can, you can hear it. And I think that's what audiences um, connect to, you know, when, when they're at concerts. concerts you Jimmy can... Webb. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I'm happy now. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I said, uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the hidden glories of country music, Darren, await you. <laughs> I look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. The cowboy program. You know, it's all uh, Chris Christopherson. It's all country. If it's if it's got soul, it's, yeah. it's all country. I mean, yeah, the um, uh, uh, peaceful, easy feeling. Glenn Frey. Yeah, the I mean, Eagles. That, that was all country. The Eagles. The Eagles yeah. were just country rock, really, too, weren't they? Aye, aye. Yeah. Three so. chords and the truth. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I'm. If Darren doesn't have anything else that he particularly is burning to ask you, I want to I want to ask you if you would do another tune, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, this is kind of we're we're just yeah. we're just eating too much Christmas dinner here. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is so great. So, would you would you like a whistle tune? I have a really lovely whistle. Oh, yeah, it's an F whistle. Go on. And uh, I'll tell you a story about it. I um, Ellie and I I always wanted to 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 go to this festival in France. It's called Le Saint Continue in the middle of France in July. And um, we, we made our way there on a bus and we got off at this middle of France and and because neither of us could speak very good French. And we, we found, a I think it was a German couple actually, who were, were heading there too and they told us oh, there'll be a bus coming along soon to catch down to it. Then they dropped me off at the side of the road and um, uh, you have to walk about 2Ks to get to this chalet where this, um, this French festival happens. And... Uh, we got there, we set up a tent, and then we walked into the festival. And when you walk out of the back of this, it's just sitting in like a little forest. When you walk out of the back, there's like probably 150 stalls with the best European instrument makers all set up in this forest. And it's, it's like dying. And, you know, this is, this is heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I walked in and thought, oh, God, I wish I knew about this like when I was in my 20s. Yeah. But um, I happened to run into John Swain, um, who and I'd bought a wooden whistle from John. He lives in Glastonbury. He's an English, uh, an English man. Uh, to me, man. I think he makes the best wooden whistles in the world. And uh, I ran into John, and he he had some of his whistles there. And I picked up this F boxwood whistle, and I really liked it. I said, "Do you take card, John?" And he said, "No, I'm only taking cash, Jack." And we didn't have a car, so we couldn't drive off anywhere. He must have seen the dejected look on my face, and he, he said, "Look." I know you said, um, take it, the whistle, and pay me when you get back to Ireland. <laughs> so I did. And I was so happy because I, I love the whistle. But I, So I could give you a tune on that. And uh, it's, it's really worth hearing. It's just, while you're doing that, I like, what, what's your t-shirt? Oh, that's um, the Pibriellum. <laughs> the Piping Pig. It's brilliant. Yeah, that's their sort of uh, emblem, you know. Love it. Yeah, it's good. What who or what are the people you learn? They're the pipe sheriffs. <laughs> They're the sheriffs of the Eland pipe world. Well, I should ask you what what is on Pippery Island or on the Pippery Island? Yeah, yeah. Did, did we do that or not? Did we say that? We did. We did. That's the association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. They enforce the anybody who's anybody who's misbehaving. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, that yeah, that, they they're a bit severe. Yeah, they can be a bit severe. But I mean, just the fact they exist and they've kept it going, yeah. it's important. I'm being, know? I'm just. I know, I know. I love yeah, the, but it's the, right. Too. The young lad that we met in um, the last hour, he was over from 
Was he Belfast? Aye, yeah, that's right. He was talking about um, talking about them. When he was he knew the figures. He was like, well, we know the seven thousand players in the world. There's one thousand one thousand seven hundred in Ireland. And then, so he's breaking it down. Oh, was he? Yeah. So oh, wow. You could probably break it down by county. Yeah. I think if I was to pick up the pipes, <laughs> there'd be like a lot to go off on their radar. <laughs> All right, we need to do an audit. In, unauthorized player. Unauthorized yeah. player. Interesting. Do you want to take a sample of this? Uh, one? Yes, yeah. please. Yeah, so this, this is an air, it's called Cape Clear. And. Um, I think Cape Clear is an island off the coast of Cork. And every time I play this, I get the feeling that there are some Spanish influences in this tune, but it's, it's a gorgeous tune, so. Jack Brennan. Thank you, Jack. That was pretty awesome. I think you can probably hear um, throughout that interview how excited uh, Darren and me were, especially Darren. He gets very excited about the pipes, you know. He loves the pipes. And, um, uh, yeah, that was just really a great experience. So um, thanks again. And thanks to everybody at Kuroit at the Lake School who helped um, facilitate some of our recording, um, particularly Felix Marr. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it for this week. Darren will be back next week. Um, I might be away, but he'll be here. Uh, So, yeah, until then, um, look after yourselves. See you then. Hi, my name is Rosa. Peace.
please become a subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.